0: Welcome back to Control the Controllables. Today we have a bit of a bonus episode for you, coming from a bedroom in Melbourne, Australia. For
1: me personally, I was going here with the understanding that there is a quite a big chance that me or, or someone in the close contact can be positive and then I will just stuck in my room. So at the end, we're really going here on our risk.
0: But of course, nobody wants to be in this situation. And that was Dasha Kazetkina, a former top 10 player in the world, age 21. She had a great junior career, winning the French Open juniors. And then at age 18, she was already top 30 in the world. And now age 23, her ranking has dropped outside of the top 70. And we discuss all of that And also the reason why she's going to get back into that top 10. Some of you might know Dasha for all the amazing TikToks and the social media. She's got a great fun personality. It really is an insightful chat. And I hope you enjoy. Over to Dasha Kazetkina. Dasha Kazetkina, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Hey,
1: uh, I'm good. Today I'm going to practice finally. So cannot wait for this moment to come out of my room because I'm spending here already like fifth day. So
0: so, you, so you've, done, you've done five days in Australia in a hotel. And, and how come you've had to wait five days before you can leave?
1: Oh, I'm not sure. Five or four. Okay. I already lost in the space. <laughs> so the most difficult things now is to wait for your results. Because as you can see, you never know what's going to happen. Even you tested negative before you fly. It's still there's a chance for you or the members of your team or someone from the plane (laughs) that can be the case of positive. So it's a little bit nervous situation. So we're a little bit, everyone in a little stress all the time.
0: And where, so where did you fly from? Where was your flight?
1: Ah, uh, my flight for from Abu Dhabi.
0: Okay.
1: One of the four flights from there.
0: So your so your flight was one of the ones that everybody tested negative. Or are you or are you still waiting to see if everybody's tested negative?
1: I hope that they tested everyone, but I'm not sure because we called yesterday and they couldn't provide us this information. But yeah. but as I can see, it's positive two or three days since the testing. So I hope everything is fine.
0: Okay, yeah, and and I guess a little thought, I, I believe it's 72 players now that are that are confined to their rooms for 14 days so so what what's your thoughts on that obviously we're, we're seeing lots of things on social media we're seeing obviously understandably some people be very frustrated we're then getting people that are saying how can these tennis players be so frustrated they're getting paid a hundred thousand dollars to sit in a hotel room for 14 days so what's what's your thoughts on all of that
1: um well, I understand both points of view. Of course, for us, it's, I mean, we're doing our jobs and we cannot do it 100% we are not practicing. And also, <laughs> I know how it feels when you just came from a preseason full of energy, you want to play, yeah. and you just cannot, <laughs> you cannot practice. And you know that most probably in two weeks, uh, you, you're not going to be in the same shape. Yeah. At the same time, I understand the people I mean, it's very sad that many, many people lose their jobs and they're in a very difficult situation with the, all the pandemic going on. So, at end, I understand both, but I will take a place of the players as well because I'm here, I know how it works here now, and I feel bad for the players. I mean, at the end, it's also um, not very fair because some of the players can practice two weeks, prepare good, And, like, as you say, 72 players just, they cannot leave their rooms, which is really bad for them.
0: And I think Dasher as well. I think those that aren't so familiar with, with the top level of the game, you guys are such finely tuned athletes who, who, like you say, you've gone through your pre-season, you know, the margins are so small between between how you feel, you know, to a normal person spending a couple of weeks in a room and doing some exercise, maybe it doesn't have an impact, but just explain to the listeners how big of a change that is in terms of preparation.
1: Well, I I don't know how in another sport, but in tennis, I know that if you lose a little bit the, the timing of the ball you lose all your game (laughs) so and here you will spend two weeks in one room and i know that the most of the players from this 72 they have not the large rooms i mean the rooms are very good honestly but it's not enough place to doing properly fitness (laughs) for sure not enough to play tennis Um, and also the air everywhere in the world is different as well for example I came from Barcelona to Abu Dhabi, yeah. it's just a six hours flight and I felt immediately the difference of the oxygen. So for the first two days, I had a little bit problems with the breathing because it was very heavy. So you need the time to adapt. And here we are, I mean, indoor and we cannot open the windows as well, which is make it even more complicated. And honestly, we are on the other part of the world. <laughs> so yeah. it's always that you need the adaptation and, need to get used to everything, to the sun here, to the air, as I said. So, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for them. But the thing is, we all know that if we go now somewhere to play tournament, there is always a chance to get, you know, to be in this situation. So for me personally, I was going here with the understanding that there is a, quite a big chance that me or member of my team or someone in the close contact can be positive and then I will just stuck in my room. So at the end, we're really going here on our risk. Yeah. But of course, nobody wants to be in this situation.
0: And how do you, Dasha, how do you, I know you, you talk about those things and I, I completely understand them and, you know, we're talking get, getting used to the balls, you know, even understanding mm, maybe yeah. what tension of string that you want to have depending on the heat, the air, you know, the, there's so many things and 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 I can really, again, relate to, you know, tennis players like to feel the ball. You know, we like to, you know, feel, yeah. it has to feel the timing, you know, on the strings. So, but what ways can you prepare, I guess, from a physical standpoint and also almost more importantly, from a, from a mental standpoint, when you're in your four walls of your hotel? <laughs>
1: uh, you know, that's tough, but I'm pretty lucky in this way because I'm this kind of person who can just stay all the time in my room and watching something on the internet and... Um, I will be fine, I will not go crazy, but I know there are maybe more people who just cannot, they want to go out and they need, you know, this, to feel their freedom, let's say. Yeah. Uh, so they're re- really unlucky in this situation, which I can say, tell about me, because I can have fun of, on my own, just sitting in the room and feeling actually fine, so...
0: Well, I cannot know- complain in this way. I noticed you've been practicing the last couple of days with Pavla I saw that you've been having a little practice <laughs> session with her on TikTok.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, she was the one who asked me to do something on social media. <laughs> I couldn't refuse. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to do something too, but I was a little bit shy to ask because maybe. Everyone is already tired of these things, <laughs> so I was happy to get this offer. And she told me that she she's like zero in <laughs> in this thing, so she asked me to do everything. So everything, the only thing I needed from her just to make a proper video and just send it to me, and I was managing the and okay. the everything after the music and to cut the videos and everything.
0: Well, I think you you do a great job of that, and anyone that's listening, you have to get over to dash's <laughs> social media pages because it is and I think it's 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 such actually a nice way to feel somewhat connected i've I've personally never met you but i I feel some form of connection because i've seen you on social media <laughs> your personalities come across you know, and I think it it is also it's an important part of the sport to get the fans engaged, but also I think just listening to your talking now it's an important part when you're traveling to be able to entertain yourself like that as well yeah of course i mean and especially
1: now we're having so much negative things around and in one point you just need to have some fun or create something i mean yeah. especially as we can see it's so many comments from everyone about how bad is everything I mean, from both sides, from players and from the people from from Australia. Not only from Australia. I mean, from everyone. Yeah. And I mean, I just wanted to put a little bit water on it, you know, just to release yeah. this tension and just to see the to show the people that
0: we're actually can be okay <laughs> sitting in our room. Uh, no, absolutely. But Dasha, on the podcast, uh, and and I couldn't have you on whilst you're in your hotel room in Melbourne without us actually talking about what's going on. Because it is, it's, you know, I'm in Spain. There'll be people listening to this around the world. Mm-hmm. And and in the tennis world right now, it's kind of the hot thing, you know, what's what's, yeah, what's, I know. <laughs> what's Dasha having for breakfast? What's this coach's view like out of the hotel room? You know, we're, we're seeing it all, you know, from from all the players. But one of the things that we've done on this podcast that been really nice and to have someone who's been top 10 in the world who i have no doubt is going to go on and win grand slams and have an amazing career how did this tennis thing start for you when did the the passion get built inside your inside your tummy that's that's made you have such a a great career so far
1: uh well i think from the beginning when first time i hold their tennis racket because I remember me small playing tennis. I was dreaming about winning a trophy. I remember I won the first two tournaments in my city and all they gave me it was a, just a medal and a diploma. I was so <laughs> freaked out. <laughs> I, want, I was complaining all the way along to home because I wanted a trophy yeah. so bad. I wanted this cup, and they gave me just a medal, a diploma you cannot imagine <laughs> i was absolutely not satisfied with my result <laughs> so it, then i think half a year after i was playing already the national tournament in russia and i remember i had already match point, and i turned my head on the side there was a table with the, the with the trophies actually because there was many ages many I mean, yeah, boys and girls under 12, 14, so many, many players. And I saw there was a trophy staying one by one. And i was like, okay, finally I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and so on the match point, I remember the girls service, second can serve. I just run around forehand and make a winner down the line. And finally I was so happy. So we, I think I went to sleep with uh, this trophy that day so went to mcdonalds with my parents as well <laughs> was the best day i think
0: <laughs> so it's far a, maybe <laughs> it doesn't get better does it a, tro- a trophy in mcdonalds it doesn't get a lot better than that for
1: for me it was very important
0: <laughs> i believe that both of your parents were were good athletes in in what they did not necessarily tennis but they were both they were both sports people is that correct yeah
1: absolutely my father was a professional hockey player and my mother she was doing athletics and my brother he was a little bit everywhere (laughs) okay i mean he was not doing professional sport but he was playing all kind of games now he is uh, crazy about fitness stuff he's working out all the time now in the room so i think he's having like fitness three four times a day
0: right okay and and I always think a bit. we it's probably sixty five percent British audience that that listen to this podcast, and we've had people from lots of mm-hmm. different nationalities, lots of different cultures.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things that I guess hits the British tennis world is, oh, people in Russia are, are good at tennis, but that's because. That's because tennis is. They have to be. They have to be in Russia if they if they're not good at tennis, you know. And there's this kind of big thing that that's, that's built up. And in it, I guess if we look at we look on the WTA tour, we're looking at almost fifty percent of players come from an Eastern country within within Europe. Mm-hmm. What what is it like? You experienced it as as a youngster. Mm-hmm. You know what is the is the Russian tennis culture like?
1: The Russian tennis culture is that we got nothing. That's why we have to fight for everything. It's pretty simple. Yeah, Yeah. I was reading the book of Andy, Andy Murray. And he was saying there that the British players, they got everything. I mean, all the support. I mean, it was before he was... I don't remember which year this book was produced. I mean, but it was a few years ago. And he was saying when he was young, the players were getting everything and they didn't have so much motivation. They had weekends off and they didn't want to practice much. So in Russia, it's completely opposite. And if you want to get something, you have to really fight for it. I think this is really like a signature of our (laughs) mentality.
0: And do you... Do you feel that without naming names and without making it specific to Great Britain? Because I think there's probably quite a lot of countries like Great Britain, you know, more Mm -hmm. richer, richer European countries or USA or even Australia. Mm -hmm. Do you as a player feel that in terms of on the professional tour that because you've gone through what you've gone through and you've had to want, want and fight for it a bit more when you were younger, that that gives you a bit of a mental edge?
1: Well I didn't think about it at all. <laughs> I was just happy to come on this stage to to play such a big tournaments like grand slams and be able to compete with the best ones and honestly I didn't feel about like that I went through, through more difficulties than them because for sure I mean 100% there are much more players who went even through more difficult times than me. Yeah. 25 times more than me. So yeah. um there's for me especially there's nothing to complain about. Yes, maybe they're a little bit more lucky with the I don't know location or what, but because they have a little bit more opportunity with the tournaments or wild cards. But I mean at the end it's not that much about that.
0: And at what age did you move to Spain for your training? And why did you move to Spain for your training at that time?
1: Um, I moved to Spain just two years ago and before I was in Slovakia. Okay. I was practicing in Slovakia and two years ago I went to Spain okay. because it's my favorite country and I completely love it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and I'm and in love with Spain. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing country. It's, it's, it is. It really is. I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm completely in love with it as well. So at what, so at what age did you leave Russia or did you train in Russia all, all through your junior career?
1: I think I left, I think I left Russia when I was 16. Okay. Uh, that year I was traveling a lot, a lot. And then I moved to Slovakia. Uh, in, in Slovakia I spent, I think, a little bit more than three years.
0: Right, so basically
1: okay. I left Russia like around 16, 16, 17, this age. Was, of course, was difficult because I was always uh, with my parents before. Uh, and then I moved with my brother
0: okay. to
1: another country, with which was, I cannot say it was frustrating, but it was different. Still, because there's a different people, different methodics of practicing, and I had to adapt to this. Yeah. Also, uh, you're spending more money, and this is also was at the beginning. It was an additional pressure.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, so, yeah difficult at the beginning but then you're just getting used to it and you know how to deal with this kind of things oh. so I'm happy that I got this experience
0: and, and to, again to take you back to your training what was a typical training week for you when you were 11 12 years old <laughs> oh honestly
1: I didn't prax- practice much when oh, I was okay. young because my parents they were pre- so careful with that because they're ex-athletes and uh, they were so careful. I remember one coach, he was pushing. I was 10 or 11, and the tennis coach was pushing to at second practice a day. And my father just sent him to hell.
0: Right, okay.
1: <laughs> like, in, a, in, a, in a worse way, actually. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so that's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, I didn't practice that much. I had maybe hour and a half tennis and some fitness. Very easy, like for the for the kids. I never overtrain. I start to practice more when I become 15, 16.
0: That's smart because- And
1: the- now, I see, I, now I see the kids, like parents want them to practice, I not know, two times a day plus fitness every day, six days a week, six days a week. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's kids, mate. I mean, um, it's not the time to choose, like tennis as a profession, like you'll be focused only on that. I think this is not the right time. Maybe the kid even doesn't like it. You don't know. You just didn't ask him. <sighs> so, yeah, it's also very popular in Russia. In Spain, it's a little bit different, I suppose. They realize that Europe culture is completely different to us.
0: And were you pushed when you were younger? I know not pushed in terms of hours, but at what age was it your choice or was tennis always your choice?
1: I feel like it was always my my choice I remember uh, 12 I was 12 or 13 I was going to school thinking like okay I go to school because I have to but then I do my own thing my main thing like to go and practice I was never thinking of something to do something else except tennis so (laughs) i think it was the choice of my heart not of my
0: brain <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice dasha it's nice to hear because again people like to to talk about the russian way is hours and hours and hours and push and everyone pushes and there's broken families yeah. and there's you know so to see to see that actually You've come through, and 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 again, I, yeah. I, I, you're still very young. So you, you've already been incredibly successful, and there's lots more to go. But from, you know, for the listeners to hear, you you didn't play a whole lot of tennis. You didn't start really up in the hours until 15 or 16. It's so nice. And as someone, mm. I'm an academy owner in Spain, and and I and I do get, and especially when it's parents coming from. Eastern European countries, yeah. there, there is a pressure of saying no, no, no. Five hours, six hours. Play, push. You need to push them. We need to do this. We need to do that. And and my philosophy is, hey, there's there's a time and place for that. You know, we have to play with yeah. intensity, but but let's wait. Let's wait for the right time. So it's it's lovely to hear you say that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Is our culture, and I mean, this is coming, I think, from the Soviet Union. Uh there was a yeah, they were practicing in this way hours and hours and pushing and pushing. Coaches were very tough. And I think this is our like this is our mentality. So as you can see, the parents also who is taking their kids from Russia to practice in Spain or Italy, doesn't matter. Yep. Um they're pushing the coaches to practice more and more, and there's are so much involved in the process they know the coaches sometimes they don't like it, not some, yeah. most, most of the times they don't like it, yeah, yeah. and I understand because parents are not the coaches I mean they it's very important for them to help the kid to develop and to grow up as a as a good human and to support him. The most important is to support him in his way, yeah. but not to coach him. There yeah. is a coach who. Knows better, normally knows better.
0: So, and what, what this is my, my opinion? I like it, And What do you look for in a coach? What's important for you?
1: Uh, for me, for me, <laughs> good point. <laughs> uh, for me, very important is to coach to understand me and to see the tennis, my tennis in the same direction as I see that. Yep. Because, for example, many coaches, they're trying to change the style of the games of the players sometimes. And for me, I was, one coach was trying a little bit to change my game because he was trying to push me closer to the line and play more, not flat, but like to play faster and more aggressive game. Which in practices were working because I was, was not nervous at all. But when it comes to the match, I didn't know what to do because it was not my, completely not my way to play tennis. And for example, now with Carlos, he understands me more and more. Like, and he sees tennis the way I want to play. So this is very important for me. Also, he's nice and funny guy (laughs) because at the end, okay, we're working, we're practicing, but also we're, uh, I mean, we're spending together like 40 weeks uh, forty weeks here. So we have to be also, we also have a, need to have a connection because if you don't like a person, then it's just impossible to work together. So there are many, many things. And then me personally, I have to feel that this person is good for me, this
0: coach is good for me or not. And are you easy to coach?
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm easy to coach. Um, I think it's easy to coach the players who is very, very responsible and they're doing everything you're asking them to do, you know. And I'm a little bit not like this. <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm. most of the times I'm listening to the coach and I know that he's right, but sometimes there are uh, moments then when I don't know. I'm in a very bad mood and I just don't want
0: to listen. And
1: You know, it can, can happen. So I think I'm not the worst one to coach, but not the best one. I'm somewhere in the middle.
0: <laughs> but I see, I have, a, I have a bit of a theory on this, Dasha. I, I think if players are too easy to coach, it's probably because they're not secure enough in how they play the game of tennis. You know, so if we take mm-hmm. the example that you use there, you know, you as as a world, world class tennis player, you have your way, you know, you know how you mm-hmm. like to be on the court. You know how you like to feel on the court. You know, you know, the type of tennis that you that you like to play, you know, your identity. So if I come in mm-hmm. and I start saying, actually, Dasher, I, I disagree with that. I think you should do that. I I think there's some players that aren't secure and don't know their game that well that just almost are looking for the coach to give them that information. You know, whereas mm-hmm. I, I often think the better players who know themselves and who have that inner self-belief and self-confidence always want to ask why and are always curious and <laughs> always agree and, and challenge the coaches and all of those things. So I wouldn't see those as bad traits either.
1: Yeah, there are many girls who are trying just to find the magic pill which coach can give her, you know, but at the end, it's just you have to find your own way. The coach is just, I mean, very important person, but the person who is helping you, he's not (laughs) playing for you. But then you are the main one who is on the court taking the decisions and, I mean, playing in the best or in the worst conditions. So, yeah, you have to listen to the coach. But not always. <laughs> there is always ma- margin to discuss.
0: <laughs> Very good, and and so my mind goes to and obviously I didn't know your junior story, Dasha, but you were winning junior grand slams age seventeen. You know, you won Roland Garros mm-hmm. at at eighteen. You were thirty two in the world. <laughs> you know, so. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> yet you said you didn't really start to up your hours on the court really until you were 15 or 16. How, how did you become so good so young?
1: Well, my game was a little bit different compared to the other girls, especially in juniors. Most of the girls, they like to hit the ball and play very aggressive. I was a little bit different in that way. I remember I was playing with Roland Garros on the straight legs, Without backhand, <laughs> not with a huge serve, uh, making drop shots every third ball, maybe. So, and I think the girls they just freak out on that point because the game was, they were not expecting this kind of game. And then actually, the for me it was a big surprise that I jumped so fast in the in the pro career, because uh, how to say. I, I always wanted, but I didn't know it's going to be, I cannot say that easy, but it's f- very fast. Mm. I, I felt like I just closed my eyes. I opened them and I was step 30 in the world. Yeah. So maybe it was too fast because I didn't realize what exactly I was doing, how I was working, how, how I come on this point on this level. So it's <laughs> very interesting thing because the line this line is very thin when you coming from the juniors to the professionals and for for example for one player it will take five years to go to top 50 for example from juniors and from another one like me for example it will take like three tournaments but at the end i don't know how it happened (laughs) i was just working playing tournaments enjoying and maybe because I was too excited on the tournaments, I didn't realize how fast it happened.
0: Yeah, and do you think? Uh, I again, and I I haven't coached anybody to to your level. You know, I've been coach players to around about a hundred, two hundred, two fifty, and and I always find players, especially when they're not defending points, really, it's this kind of. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their level, it can just, if their level's good, they can just go. And they just, every match that they mm-hmm. win, they see their ranking rise. It's almost like a celebration every yeah, yeah. week. You know, we're going Ex- from this ranking <laughs> to that ranking. to, And then there comes a time yeah. normally when a player plateaus. Now, you were, you were extremely special that you plateaued at 30 in the world or 10 at the world, you know, that it got, to, got, a, mm-hmm. got as high as that. But, you know, that normally happens with players at 200, 250. And then almost because that's happened so fast, like you said, you haven't really understood how you've got there. And now Mm -hmm. you start to feel the ranking drop a little bit for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, and, And it's almost, you don't quite know how you get it back up because you're not sure how you got there in the first place. And and actually you've got to stop and improve your game and, and develop your game in different ways. I don't know how you found that.
1: Well, that was a uh, next step because um, I was in the ranking like 30, between 20 and 30 for like two years and I couldn't crack top 20. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I was, I mean, on this level between 20 and 35 so I was playing earning points and stuff and then just in that what happened when somehow I cracked top 20 and I was just going up and up and up and up and up and I finished top 10 without having no idea how because I was just playing then I mean I was watching my matches after and everything well, after watching the matches, I could understand why. But for yeah. example, if I was just playing and winning matches, I was not even thinking about it. Yeah. And as you say about the points, uh, yes, it's like the one of the first ch- first challenges you face when you enter some good ranking <clears throat> good ranking spot. Because I remember first time I was defending serious points was in the <clears throat> U.S. Open 2016. I played third round in 2015. It was more than a 100 points. So first time in my life, I had to defend, I mean, quite a big amount of points at that time. Third round of years open. So I lost first round. I was feeling super bad. I woke up next morning feeling like the world just stops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, and now I look, look back and I'm like, but nothing happened <laughs> at all i didn't lose any ranking from these 100 points i mean okay i lose one tournament but there was not end of the world and i remember i felt like the time just stops <laughs> nothing is going yeah. on in the world anymore <laughs> yeah. so this is very important thing i uh, i don't know if all of the players but many many of the players are facing this challenge and yeah, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. And me, I faced just 100 points. But for example, some of the players facing 1,000 points, defending, I you don't know, Masters or something. Yeah. Um, so in the 2019 year, I had to defend the all season. Yeah. And I was not ready mentally uh, yeah. at all. So, yeah. And it was difficult because I was not... My level of the game was, wasn't high.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was losing the tournament by tournament by tournament, losing points, 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 and, like, this confidence just going down, 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 and and this is the moment where it's very difficult to come back, especially mentally, because season is going on, going on, it's tournament by tournament every week. You don't have the time to just take a break and, you know, to breathe out and to think what is going on. You just go with the flow, and it's, like, never, never... (laughs) stopping um, nightmare. But, I, as I say again, it's experience, and I face it at 20, 22, 23 years old, which is priceless, I think.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and again, for those listening, unless you're involved at a high level in tennis, you will not believe how quick one year can go and how quick one year can be lost. And you know you start having a few losses, and you know you pick up an injury you know and, and all of a sudden six months has gone, eight months has gone and it, and it I guess it just brings home the importance of mental toughness and the ability to have a tough mind is 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 that something that you work on with with a sports psychologist is that Is that a part of the game that you that you've tried to develop over the last few years
1: well both but I was focusing on a psychologist a lot. The okay. whole last year, I was working a lot with a psychologist.
0: Okay.
1: Which is, I think, it's a difficult step to take for the, I think not for the athletes. Yeah. Because it's very difficult to accept that you need the mental help. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, but it really helps. I really suggest to every player, no matter which age, even if you don't have any problems, you just think this, but <laughs> you yeah. it's good if you don't have problems, but the sport psychologist can also help you just to develop your game. And if you come to the point where you're already facing the problems, he will help you a lot.
2: Yeah.
0: So I think it's very good too to have a sport psychologist in the team. But would you do you feel bad about having a physical a physical coach in your team?
1: Well, uh, my brother is my physical coach, yeah. and I am really happy with um, with the work he's doing, with the job he's doing. And I'm feeling better and better. I'm physically I'm actually feeling great, especially the beginning of the season. I mean I played just one tournament, but I can feel how I'm on the court, how I how fast I am, my reaction, the moving, everything so I'm happy with my physical conditions right now. But, but I think and my, yeah, it's, it's so important.
0: <laughs> I mean, but but Dasha, we talk fitness, about that. Yeah. But we talk about yeah. that. So just, I guess, to pick up on what you said, because again, I see this with a lot of tennis people, it would be abnormal for you not to have a physical trainer. You know, that's, you know, we all, everybody in the world, even, even somebody 2000 in the world, they have some they have a fitness coach a, a physical fitness yeah. coach yet there's still a stigma in in tennis that cuz i i call it mental fitness uh, sports psychologists okay. are working on your yeah. mental fitness and and uh, yet there's a stigma in the game that we almost feel we have to have a mental problem before we have a mental fitness coach and and, yeah. and <laughs> and, and and I believe, and I might be wrong, I'm wrong on lots of things, so I might be wrong on this. I believe in 10 years' time, it will be abnormal that anybody in the top 200, 300 in the world, that they won't have a mental fitness coach because it's, <laughs> it's so important and, and, and it's and it's something that has to be worked on, on on every single day. Yeah, well, it's already getting to normal thing that the players are working with the
1: psychologists or mental coaches. Yeah, it's very important. I mean, the level of the tennis performance is getting higher and higher. Now, every single detail is so important. And this is actually not a detail. It's uh, tennis is pretty much a mental game. So it's one of the main aspects. Now, many players are saying that they're working with a the, with the psychologist. I mean, it's a big, big advantage.
0: And what's the number one thing mentally that you're working on right now? Now, not that much because I was working a lot uh,
1: the last year. Well, the main thing was not so much about the sport, but about the life because I was <laughs> not depressed, of course, but uh, I wasn't happy playing going to the tournaments and everything so the main aspect of working with a psychologist was to get back this feeling of being happy playing tournaments and you know to be satisfied with everything what's going on i think that was the main thing and the second thing is the fears because fears affected everyone especially on the tennis court because you're nervous you're stressed and you want to win obviously so yeah, I was working a lot with uh, fears and with happiness <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> to be happy with myself, to be happy with uh, what I'm doing. Good, love, lovely messages. I'd, if I can take you back to 2018, it's uh, 2018 was a, 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 a obviously a, a real breakthrough year for you, if I'm right. Finalist of Indian Wells. Quarterfinalist French mm-hmm. Open, quarterfinalist Wimbledon. I think you maybe won in Moscow at, at, at mm-hmm. a WTA event. But more importantly than that, you also became a, a world record holder in 2018, I believe. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I made the most winners in one minute. I mean, I was so tired after that. <laughs> <laughs> I had one try and I said, okay, I'm not going to the second one because I'm already so dead. <laughs> I had, I don't know, I made maybe 20 sprints from the net to the um, half of the court. And I had to be really fast. (laughs) That was fun, that was fun actually. I'm still waiting for the
0: book. (laughs) So you're in the Guinness Book of Records. So all of these amazing things you did on the tennis court, I believe it was 18 tweeners that you hit in one minute.
1: Yes, (laughs) 18, exactly. I was now trying to remember.
0: Thank you because I forgot. <laughs> that's what that, that's what's... I forgot my record. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us, tell us, tell us about those experiences of, you know, final Indian Wells, quarterfinal French Open, quarterfinals Wimbledon. You know, they, those must have been really special experiences for you, age 19, 20, to be playing at such the kind of the, the deep stages of those events. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Indian Wells was was quite a tournament where i was just feeling super good that was the week where i mean my game was one of the best i ever remember i was just going and playing and everything was just going the way i wanted so <laughs> it was pretty easy i mean yeah. the the way i was playing i didn't think much so it was just it was my week let's say in the final i was nervous <laughs> the final yeah. was different And Roland Garros in Wimbledon, I mean, well, they were not that easy, (laughs) I must say, especially the Wimbledon, because um, I was already pretty tired and we always have like a little break after the Wimbledon, like one week. And I was already thinking about going for these small holidays. And I remember I was playing with the feeling to go on the holidays. And I was winning the matches, <laughs> it was so controversial. <laughs> I wanted to go for four holidays, but I was going far in the tournament. But at that moment, I realized that I can play really good on grass because before for me, grass was like very weird kind of surface and there I was feeling pretty good. And what was interesting, I was moving good there because it's not easy. The surface is very specific. But I really liked the way I was playing a bit the good players there. And it was a very nice match with uh, Angelique Kerber on the central court. I must say, the central court uh, at Wimbledon is just uh, something special in this world. <laughs> because I remember I stepped on this court and I felt like I'm in some cathedral, you know, cathedral of tennis, yep. <laughs> I must yeah. say. Yeah, the atmosphere there is just too special. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, so it was a nice year to remember, and I hope there is much more to come.
0: Well, there is, and, I, and I'm certainly not a sports, no. psych, sports psychologist, Dasha, but it's it's an area of passion of mine, and it it just it sounds so clear when you don't think, and when you just enjoy. You, you, better. <laughs> uh, yeah, and your and your level your level is very clearly there. You know, you you've had the results, and even if we fast forward then into 2020, you know, again it, it seemed watching from afar that you were starting to get back into that place towards towards the end of 2020. Obviously, all of our hearts in our mouths when we were watching you play against Azarenka in Rome. You know, you yeah. started to put a few results together, six all in the first set, and then and then you Oof. went over yeah. on your ankle, and and I think so many people in the tennis world really took to you, and and you were you you were absolutely on on path to be winning Grand Slams and doing those things, and I have no doubt that that'll happen again. But just tell us, how was that moment? You've got your confidence back, you're winning matches. And then you go and fall at a stage like six all in the quarterfinals against Victoria. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I have honestly felt terrible because I, I remember I was feeling so good already getting the confidence back. And I mean, I like to play in Rome. The courts are very good. And I mean, Italy, Europe, clay, everything. <laughs> I like the swing. Yeah. Not exactly the 2020, but the Madrid-Rome-Rome. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, we played a very good match. I mean, this set was pretty intense. We showed some good tennis. And then, yeah, I just uh, twist my ankle on the line uh, of the court, which happened for me the second time in Rome. So the lines there are... okay. (laughs) Let's not talk about it, about the lines there in Rome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was so... It was not that painful physically, but I was so disappointed with the situation. And I did my best, so I recovered in one week. Just in one week, I recovered my ankle. Not the hundred percent, because still, I, after the one hour of playing, I starting to feel my, my ankle. I longer have, for example. But I was still so happy that I was able to compete, that my body heals so fast. And then, I mean, I was disappointed that there just was few tournaments left in the end of the season because I start, I mean, I came to Indian Wells in 2020 after Lyon playing a few good matches and already starting to feel better. And it just, (laughs) this happened, the pandemic happened. And we didn't play like for six months. I was just practicing. And then again, I start to, you know, growing up and again the season stops so they you know they cut the season for me two times (laughs) Uh, i hope this i hope this year will not happen something like
0: this (laughs) and we will just continue playing yeah, no, absolutely. It was such it was such a lovely moment, and I think again, you know, we've talked about some of the stereotypes that that we have in tennis, and one of the stereotypes is around you know Russian tennis players, but another one is that women women on the WTA two they don't like each other. There's none of them are friends, you know, that none of them. And it, and it was such a lovely moment seeing Victoria come up to you. And, and, and I think like a, a real connection mm-hmm. to see that you guys are human beings as well. And, and you have these lovely friendships.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was very nice moment. And I mean, super nice from her after the situation she offered me the, to work with her physio there in in the I mean, in the hotel, she offered me some stuff from her, like uh, they recovered things and everything, yeah, she was super sweet, and I appreciate it so much because, yeah, normally the players are not that friends on tour, yeah. but she was super nice to me. I was a little bit surprised, but uh, I'm really thankful for her because there is on also the I mean uh, her physio helped me a lot this yeah. very important This two days i yeah. mean after you get the injury and he helped me a lot so um maybe this is also the reason why i <laughs> was able to recover yeah. for the longer as well so yeah.
0: and it's so it was th- nice and, and talking of of the human side you know, we've we see a little bit of that. We've touched on the TikToks. Uh, I, I do believe these podcasts are great as well to for us to understand players and get to know players players a little bit better. And so, what what can we expect from you in two thousand and twenty one when it comes to you showing yourself on social media? What what personality? What things are we going to see coming from you next? You never know. If you would ask me one year ago, I wouldn't expect me
1: making TikToks. (laughs) But uh, honestly, I hope I will show more of myself uh, on the court than in uh, social media, (laughs) because this was, you know, the the opportunity to be like kind of on the tour during the lockdowns everywhere. So that was like my kind of thing to still show the people like the tennis and everything. So, I hope this year it's not
0: necessary
1: to put so much things on social media <laughs> to show that tennis <laughs> is alive.
0: <laughs> well, there's one when I, I, I moved to to Spain 10 11 years ago and I'm a big Newcastle United football fan which you might not even know Newcastle United but it's that's Ca- wh- I know
1: of
2: course <laughs>
0: that's, that's so, so they're my team that's where I'm from in in England but my little okay. my my little boy and little girl when we moved to Spain I said to them you have to support Newcastle United but I'm gonna allow you one team in Spain and and Barcelona? we chose Real Madrid
2: um, so we okay, so, we, okay I knew it.
0: <laughs> so and and I can't help but notice that there's a lot of Barcelona, so tell us yeah. tell us your connection and story with Barcelona Football Club.
1: well, <laughs> I was so small when my brother was uh, watching Champions League at two in the morning because of time difference between russia and Spain. Uh, and he just knocked my door and he said, okay, Dash, let's go watch soccer. Soccer, you see. <laughs> okay. uh, let's go and watch. And I was watching it two in the morning with my brother. We were watching Champions League Barca playing. I don't remember <laughs> who they yeah, were yeah. playing. So I was hoping their parents didn't notice that we were watching football. <laughs> but probably they were. <laughs> they knew. So And since that moment... Uh, when the first time I came to Barcelona, I immediately went to the Camp Nou and I bought the first t-shirt. I mean, mom bought me a <laughs> new t-shirt. <Yeah. laughs> so, and uh, I was asking her so badly to buy tickets for the match. So we bought the tickets for Barcelona Osasuna. But I had a tournament in another city. I mean, very close to Barcelona. There's like 30 minutes by the train. So I reached this, the finals in this tournament. And the match was the day of the semifinals. So I played the match. We jumped in the train. We went to Barcelona. We watched the match and it was evening match. Barcelona won 7-0. So oh, wow. 7-0. Messi scored, I think, four or five goals. Oh. I was so happy. So we went to sleep in the hotel next to the train station. We woke up at five in the morning. We went by the train to the city. And I won the finals. <laughs> we starts okay. at eleven or ten. Okay. Yeah. I was and I didn't it's so funny that now we're so precise with the regime, with the food, nutrition, everything, schedule of the day. And like every minute counts. And there I was just okay. I finished the match, we jumped in the train, we watched the we watched Barcelona, then we went to sleep at I don't know one or two. We woke up at five. I went by train to another city, and I played the match like nothing happens. <laughs> also, I was super young. <laughs> Probably, mom didn't feel that great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's great. You're finding the secret. You're finding the secret to success. You know, you need to take. You need to take more Barcelona matches in. As well in two thousand and twenty one. If you well if before allowed. was
1: better, they just lost. You know that. Yeah, they're not doing <laughs> the so good cup. right now. Huh? So
0: they,
1: they just lost the super cup to Athletic.
0: Uh, okay.
1: They were two one up and they miss gone ninety minute ninety and they lost
0: three two. Well, I've I've been a very very quick <laughs> Barcelona story. I've been twice twice to see Barcelona. One was in Camp Nou where we, I was there actually for my brother's 30th birthday and we were actually coming back from the beach and we said, Oh, is there a match on? And they said, yes. So we, we got out the taxi. It was about Mm -hmm. 20, 20 minutes of the match had already gone. And we, we jumped up, got tickets. We ran to the very top of the stadium and as we were walking up, I walked up the stairs and it was Pedro who was playing for Barcelona at the time and he and he scored in the top corner but I was the only person in my group that saw the goal because they were still a little bit further down the stairs and <laughs> and, and Barcelona ended up winning 1-0 it was the only it was the only goal in the match so so I saw that <laughs> and and then the next time Messi didn't play in this match the next time was in Malaga, which is close to the academy, yeah. and we were going really to see Messi. And as we were driving to, to Malaga, we heard that Messi wasn't playing because he just had his third child. Or his wife okay. had just had the third child, so he wasn't playing the match. So we missed Messi this time also. So I, I need I need to try and see Messi at some point. He's an amazing. Yeah, you have to
1: try. He's not that young anymore. No.
0: He's, he's... <laughs> and
1: who knows what's gonna happen next summer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe in England. So... Maybe I see him in England next year. <laughs> well <laughs> and, we'll <laughs> see. And and, and last, last last question, Dasha. 2021. What's what are your what, what are your hopes for 2021? Have you have you set yourself any goals? What what can we expect from, from you in this year?
2: Uh,
1: you know, I was expecting a few things from the last year, putting goals, and you see what happened. <laughs> Nothing happened. years didn't happen. So yeah. uh, this year I changed my philosophy a little bit and I just wish to play as much as, uh, as we can. I mean, as the situation will, will allow us to play. And... That's all I'm asking for, because um, at the end, I realized that the most important is not to earning a lot of points or money or something. At the end, most important is to, I mean, be on the tour and playing the tournaments and just to have the opportunity again, because we, I was not playing obviously nobody was playing for like five months in a row. Just practicing so I understand that the practicing with the tournaments is is for nothing. Tournaments are the main thing. <laughs> I mean the competition. This feeling of the
0: competition. Very refreshing. That's that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a lovely message to, to finish on, but I you don't get away without our quick fire round. Are you ready for the quick fire okay. questions?
1: We'll see if it's gonna be quick. From me.
0: <laughs> one one person okay. took twenty four minutes for the quick fire round. It should be three or four minutes maximum. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who's
1: the person? Andy. Uh, I think it
0: might have been Ser- Sergi Starkovsky. Maybe I think he took like eighteen minutes. So,
1: okay, <laughs> okay, I got you.
0: It, it makes sense. Okay. Serve or return return forehand or backhand forehand should there be an injury timeout or not a change of ends
1: uh, timeout
0: <laughs> should should there be a joint wta and atp or not i think yes what's your favorite grand slam is uh, Open. Would you prefer to win a gold medal at the Olympics or a Grand Slam title?
1: Grand Slam title.
0: Should there be a pre-match warm-up allowed? So the four-minute warm-up before the match, should that be allowed? Of course. Everybody yeah. that a player says yes, everybody that uh, works for the media Oh, or somebody says no. <laughs> it's always an Instagram, <laughs> Instagram or okay. TikTok or TikTok. Instagram. If there was one rule change in tennis that you could make, what would it be? <laughs> there are plenty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, That's actually good question I don't know Um, I think I know the question which takes 24 minutes (laughs) Uh, I think tennis is perfect
0: (laughs) you cop out that's a cop out (laughs) (laughs)
1: first I said there are plenty then I said it's perfect
0: (laughs) (laughs) no no 14 day quarantine
1: (laughs) No, no.
0: <laughs> and who should our next guest be? Next
1: guest? Um, uh, it should be Annette Conte and her coach, Nigel. <laughs> they should come together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the, the rule, Dasher, is whoever, whoever you nominate, you have to get. So John... John Morris, ah. John Morris, nominated you when he was on the podcast, okay. so he got you. So it's over to you now. You let you let me know when they're ready. Okay, it's possible to make two of them, or yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. Be, okay, absolutely. Okay, okay, A- absolutely possible. I so will reach them. <laughs>
1: I think uh, Annette she has plenty of time because she was on that plane.
0: Okay. Which was positive.
1: So <laughs> yeah. I think I will offer her this.
0: <laughs> no, no, no excuses. Dasha, you have been an absolute star. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Uh my message that I take from it, you need to you need to smile lots, you need to think, you need <laughs> yeah. to think less, and you need to express yourself <laughs> on the court. Good luck in 2021. Good luck in Australia. It's been a real, real privilege to have you on the podcast. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: A big thank you to, to Dasha and also to her agent, John Morris, a big shout out to John for, for setting that up. And yeah, Vic, how, how lovely was she?
2: Oh, I really like her. What a great sense of humor she's got. That's actually the first time I've heard Dasha speak at length like that. And, um, I think just heads switched on, really. Great mindset. I love the story about um, really wanting to win her first trophy and how cross she was when she just got yeah. a diploma and a medal. Um, yeah, just very driven. Um, loved how um, she's really able to yeah, get her head around the situation in Australia. Yeah, I really, really liked her.
0: Yeah, and, and, and what we typically know or, or what we typically perceive of a Russian tennis player, she dispelled a lot of that, which which was nice. You know, the fact that she didn't talk about she pl- playing loads and loads of hours of tennis when she was younger. You know, she talked about having parents that that really supported her and didn't push her to, to the absolute max, which I think is that, that almost typical... Russian mentality we think of, and then we get almost the Western European countries that think they have to emulate that. So I think to see that someone can get to that level by doing it in a way that she's playing the sport because she enjoys it, I think was a lovely message to come across as well.
2: It's interesting how she said she found it quite easy yeah. to go up the rankings. It just happened quite quickly, and
0: I mean it's incredible, really. I mean she, if we if we look at it from that point of view age 18, she was already top 30 in the world, you know, and age 20, 21, she was top 10 in the world, and I think that would probably be my big learning from it as well, and this has been a consistent thing through the podcast, management of expectation, and and when she said, I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to be winning, and or to be that ranking, you know, that was something that she we, we talk about preparing the mind for dealing with losses and dealing with difficulties, but actually it's also preparing the mind when, you, when you're when having success, and it's almost like she's needed to come out of that and for her ranking to drop in order for her to gain that perspective, you know, and I have no doubt listening to her and the way that her, her mindset now is She's shifted her focus. You know, Valerie Condos fields would love it now, you know, that, that, you know, winning is not the only definition of success. And it seems like Dasha now has really gone, right, these are my success measures. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to really be grateful for the opportunity to play tennis. And I'm just going to throw it all out there and and let's see where the chips fall. And, and I'm sure those chips are going to fall with her being someone pushing to win Grand Slams over the next few years.
2: And we're edging closer to the start of the Australian Open now, and we're going to be having a bit of a preview.
0: Yeah, so exciting, really. Something that we're I just wanted want to give it a bit of a go. So we've we've I'm not going to announce the panelists yet, but we do have a fantastic group that are that are going to be coming on, uh, sharing stories. Giving some nice insights, you know, a little bit of banter maybe, and and also giving predictions, uh, looking at the winners, looking at some of those that maybe people aren't dark horses, I guess we would say for, for for the title. And if anyone has any questions or anything that you want myself to to bring through with the with the panel, please do reach out, send in your questions. Do it fast because we in in the next three or four days we're going to be getting together we're going to be previewing the Australian Open and then we will also review it afterwards as well so I'm excited for that.
2: And it's been 24 hours now since we released the first podcast of the year which was Justin Gimelstab and as with the polarizing figure that he is we've had a range of comments already. Um, Someone just described him as a tornado some people saying he was more insightful than they were expecting and a few people asking what he was like to interview Dan.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned it on that podcast. It 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 was, it was a challenge, really. I guess it, I don't even probably like the word interview because it, it's I, I I tend to like just chatting, yeah. and just chatting to the guests. And he made it quite difficult to chat to. <laughs> you know, it was uh, the the word I would use use would be intense you know the the intensity was was strong all the way through and even that intensity turned into quite strong emotion as well as I mentioned um as he spoke about his family his dad when he spoke about his 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 child and and all, all I would say is that you know, podcasts are there for people to take what they want to take from it Uh, it doesn't mean that we like agree with everything that's ever said on the podcast uh, but I but I think opening people's eyes to different insights and I would say everyone will take something from that you know in in some way you know whether it's just pure entertainment curiosity of what's happened to Justin Kimmelstob whether it's actually understanding and, you know, he shows a lot of resilience, uh, whether it's understanding how the world of tennis works on on the inside, which he gives us that insight to, I would definitely recommend. And then I'm excited. I mentioned on the last one, but we've already recorded a couple more. Uh, David Walsh, I'm sitting there talking about Lance Armstrong. You know, we set up this podcast and all of a sudden I'm hearing about how David Walsh, managed to find out that Lance Armstrong had been doping and cheating against the whole world for eight years. I mean, how mad's that? And uh, tomorrow we have Mark Petchy coming on from his suite in Melbourne or room in Melbourne. I'm sure it's very nice, Mark. And I'm looking forward to that because Mark's, Mark's got a lot of insight into the game. Obviously, coached Andy Murray when he was younger, was a top 100 tennis player in the world. And and actually, is someone who I really respect, I think he's one of the best commentators out there. He's willing to put his opinion out there on social media. And I'm sure that he's going to give us lots of opinions. So, hey, it's exciting. Exciting start to the year. It's great to be back. And can I just also say, Vicky won't say this, but the compliments we've had for the edit... And for our first podcast that's gone out, Vicky has taken over the editing and has done an amazing job. So well done to you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And my second shout out is our new jingle that you will hear at the start. And just to give you a little backstory on that, that is a Soto tennis player, Evan Morgan who has brought that jingle together for us. And and I guess that just fits into the values, the way that we work at the Academy, to, to have the team working together. And how nice is it that we've we've now got one of our players that is has brought together the music for the podcast as well. So thank you for the feedback, guys. Keep the comments coming. Uh, we're here for anything that you need. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on Dasher, on Justin, and on future guests. So take care, guys.
2: Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.